It's not every day you're called upon to defend your country's sacred honor, but that's exactly what happened to my guest this week. This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. One person I might have to track down for this here podcast is uh, Jerry L. Miller. Now, you definitely saw Jerry on the news in the past few days, but you probably didn't know it at the time. See, Jerry was the other lawyer on the Zoom call with Judge H. Gibbs Bauer and lawyer Rod Ponton when Ponton accidentally turned himself into a cat uh, with a Zoom filter. Mr. Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to... Uh... Uh, we're trying to, we're tr- can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the- it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. It's not, I'm not a cat. Jerry and Judge Bauer, for that matter, deserve a heck of a lot of credit for managing to keep a straight face and being professional while all that was going on. Bravo, gentlemen. I'd say you'd already know about Jerry if you subscribe to my daily email newsletter, The News Side Quest, but that video is literally everywhere. Still, you should totally go to my website, keithconradmedia.com, and sign up for said newsletter. Every weekday, you'll get an email from me filled with stories like that. And also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to be listening to help new people find the show. My guest this week is all over Atlanta radio, plus he used to be the PA announcer for the Atlanta Falcons, Plus, you can see him scuba diving at Georgia Aquarium every once in a while. Art Madman Maring, thanks so much for joining me. Sure. Oh, oh. he's a madman. A madman. And uh, my last couple of guests have, uh, I, I, I don't think they've, they've meant to shame me, but, but they've made me feel kind of bad because like they've been pretty much everywhere in the world. And I've been to Mexico and Canada once. <clears throat> so I, I, I basically... You know, in the in the 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 back half of my life, I guess I've got a lot of traveling to catch up on is is what I'm saying. So my my wife and I get ready for, you know, elaborate travel logs because that's that's coming. Oh, good. But uh, so you have a story of uh, when you're actually uh, at the North Pole, which Mm -hmm. that's definitely unique. No one's had that yet. Yeah, that's true. And I've found too many people that have uh, that have been up there that I got a few friends of mine that uh, I, I still stay in touch with that were up there. But, uh, you know, we all say we've got uh, PTSD, which is post uh, tundra stress <laughs> disorder. <laughs> so how did you end up at the North Pole? That's that's the first. Well, question. I um, I was in the uh, Air Force back in the 70s and um, I cross trained into the American Forces Radio and Television Service. And AFN, or as you saw in the movie, Good Morning Vietnam, that's what I did. And um, I went to the school in Indiana, which is now in Washington, called the Mm -hmm. Defense Information School, DINFOS. I am a DINFOS trained killer. And for about the next few months, uh, they taught us broadcast journalism and broadcasting and being a disc jockey and all this kind of stuff. And then I thought um, I was going to Newfoundland. And I thought, well, that's cool. I'll go to Newfoundland. That's kind of cool. And then they said, no, you're already got an order to change. We think you're going to Massachusetts. And I'm like, cool, excellent. They said Boston. Then I found out my records were going there. And I said, well, wait a minute. If they're going there, where am I going? And the guy said, I'm so sorry. 
you're, you're going to the North Pole. I went, come on, man. <laughs> I said, don't do that. And sure enough, I did for 333 days, 12 hours and 35 minutes, wheels down to wheels up. That, I was, not that uh, you were keeping track. No, who would do that? Um, I was with, at the time, the uh, 4683rd Air Base Group, the group at the top, and I was in um, a detachment for the uh, American Forces Network up there. And I started out as a, uh, as a disc jockey um, while I was up there. I started out in television. Well, I did television for a while, which was basically, you know, the, the you know, technical direction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I went upstairs, and um, we were, like, the only one of the few two-story buildings on the, uh, on the base. And... Um, I went well, well, now, uh, wait a minute. How many people are actually at the North Pole that you need, that you actually need Armed Forces Radio and Television? It's a good question. Uh, there was actually, this is, this is what we had. We had basically uh, 1,000 people, oh, and wow. out of that 1,000, um, it was 997 men and three women. <laughs> I bet that worked out well. (laughs) Well, I'm telling you, they made a lot of money. I just saw what I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just saying, Mm -hmm. you know, they they did very well for themselves. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I actually, you're allowed to take one leave while you're up there. And um, we had one, uh, her name was, uh, I believe it was uh, uh, Mitzi. And she was, uh, at the time, a civilian employee with RCA. And she... um, I told my uh, my CO, I said, when Mitzi starts looking good to me, she was in her 60s at the time and I was in my 20s. I said, when she starts looking good to me, I'm going to I'm going to get out of here and take a take a leave. And he goes, OK. So one day Mitzi comes into the chow hall and I looked at my buddies and I went, you know, for 66 years old, she ain't looking too bad. And they looked at me and I went, I'll be right back. <laughs> I went over to my CO's office. He looked up at me and he said, what do you need, man? And I said, uh, Mitzi's looking good, to, good, looking good to me. Didn't say a word. Reached at his desk and he goes, first available aircraft? <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I went home uh, for about 30 days, then came back. And that's when it was in the, the dark season. I was trying to make sure I got out there anyway because – 24 hours of daylight's fun, but 24 hours of darkness is not good. It's just, uh, it's just well, not Well, now, good. did the 330-ish days, did that count uh, your, your 30 days of leave? Was, or is that uh, is No, that that's, uh, that's without the leave. Oh, okay. That's total time. Okay. Total time. You've got you to gotta do a 12-month tour up there. Uh, it's called a remote, uh, remote isolated tour of duty. And um, we played all kinds of music. I, at the time, I started out in country music and then... Um, I sold my soul to rock and roll just before I left uh, to come home when I did um, I did a marathon. I stayed on the air for 126 and a half hours to raise money for the wow. uh, Greenlandic Christmas, which is called Ulamon. Mm-hmm. And um, in doing so, I was doing a combination of radio and TV. And in doing so, the money that we raise is then used to buy presents for the, uh, the Eskimo kids up on the ice. And a guy dressed in Santa Claus gets in the back of a C-130. And they fly up to these even remoter locations, if that's a word, even more remote locations. And the kids come out and Santa uh, pushes presents out the back door of the of the C-130 as they're flying because they're so cold up there. They don't want to land and turn the engines off because they're afraid the props will freeze. Now, my <laughs> question would be, do the do the Eskimo kids that uh, are obviously even remoter, as you as you said? Yes, I do. Do, do they even know what's. Who Santa Claus is, or is it just, hey, absolutely. look, there, there's a there's a fat guy pushing pushing presents out of a plane. Absol- no, they absolutely know. It's so cool up there. I mean, that's just one of the coolest things in the world when you get involved in Ulamon, that um, you know, you're, these little kids just light up. I mean, they just light up when uh, when uh, that's like anywhere in the world. You know, uh, it's just it's just amazing. Um, you know, I, I'm a diver, uh, scuba diver at the Georgia Aquarium, and I'll dress up as what we call scuba claws during the. Um, 
during the season mm-hmm. and we come down there and the kids, I don't care who they are. I've seen little kids in burkas. I've seen, you know, all kinds of kids and they just light up when you show up, you know, they're Santa underwater swimming around and uh, they can't wait to meet him. So it's, it's kind of, Santa's kind of a universal peace, peacemaker, I guess. And um, that's what they do. They used to do it. I don't know. Um, they still, I don't know if they still do it up there every year or not, but I know I did. The Canadians had a post way up uh, north of us, actually, 400 miles north of us we were 700 and i think of 725 or 750 miles north of the arctic circle mm-hmm. so so uh now not not to get on too much of a sidetrack here but when you when you do scuba claws mm-hmm. uh, do you have to use like a different suit each time you know does it get like ruined after it's been in the water or do you keep oh no no way? um the aquarium actually has um has a uh, custom uh, uh scuba claws suit made it's a wetsuit but it's made to look like santa claus's clothes and you oh, have a cool. beard and you have the hat and you know you're wearing a full face mask and you have the beard around the mask and the regulator. And then you have your hat on top. And then you have um, this huge uh, five millimeter uh, Santa Claus wetsuit. And then you have these things that go over your fins that kind of make it almost look like boots. And then you put your gloves on and all that kind of stuff. White gloves we have, which is really cool. And the funny part is with the little the little critters in the habitat, um, with that beard, they're like, oh, cool, look at this. It's something new to swim in. <laughs> and you, you're always, you always got these, these animals up in your beard. <laughs> you're going, get away. <laughs> now, so you would think that since you were 700-ish miles mm-hmm. uh, north of the Arctic Circle, uh, you would have been uh, you know, pretty far away from any international incidents, but you, you actually did have an incident with the, uh, with the Canadians. Oh, well, the Canadians, I thought you were talking about another one. We had actually, we, uh, we put the whole United States on a DEFCON, I think it was a DEFCON 2 or 3. Um, some idiot kid up there, we're all idiot kids, but some idiot kid up there got the code. He was trying to call his parents back in the United States, and you need a, you need a code to get through in, in order to use the phone up there, uh, what, they, what they call auto, 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 Autovon, that's what it's called, Autovon. And the code that he used was, um, I think it was a, what they call a red horse override, which means uh, the radar site has detected enemy missiles coming in. <laughs> and they went to like DEFCON 2 or 3 and they called the tactical operations room up at the radar site up on top of this mountain. And they went, uh, is there anything going on up there? And they were like, no. And they went, oh, thank God. <laughs> Billy's but, trying to call his parents. That's all. That's well, that's what oh, he got. Boy, he got in trouble. But what happened with me was um, the Canadians would come in up there on uh, ostensibly. It was called an Arctic refueling exercise for NATO Northern Tier. They would bring in their fighter aircraft at the time, F-5s, and then they would bring a tanker in with them and they would land up at our place. Um, and then they would conduct these allegedly um, Arctic refueling exercises. But in the uh, pantheon of uh, great drinking exercises, it was also known as the NATO Northern Tier International Beer Drinking Contest. Nice. And what would happen is the, we, would, we would have this hands across the ocean kind of a thing with the uh, Canadians and all the officers and all the EMs, the enlisted, and they would pair us up with a guy that was like the equivalent rank. And then all the officers, all the COs and all that kind of stuff were there. And we would have this big, long table in the NCO club, I believe it was. And we would have this big dinner and we'd toast each other. And here's to Canada. Here's the U.S. All that kind of stuff. That's fun. And then the uh, and then the officers would go away and all the EMs were like, OK, we got business. And we would go to the barracks bar called the Long Branch Saloon, which was in my barracks. Um, and we'd go in there and we'd start drinking. 
And the whole thing was, is like, who's better? Canadians are, are Americans, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, a lot of USA, USA going on. Well, I went to bed and I, cause I had to get up in the morning and do a show. And uh, cause I was doing morning radio at the time. And I said, I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm going, you know? And I said, good night. And I was, I was dead at night. I was sleeping and boom, 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 boom on my door. And I'm like, oh my God, what the hell's going on? So I go to the door and I open it up and it's one of the guys going, get up here. I went, what's going on? He was getting you to get to Long Branch. I went, oh, come on, man. He says, no, you got to get up there. And I said, what's going on? He says, we, 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 got, we got the Canadians uh, on, on the ropes. They don't believe you know how to shoot a beer. Now, I'm sure you remember um, <laughs> about shooting a beer, you know, where you, you, you uh, punch a hole in the side and, and open up the, uh, the top and it shoots the beer down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, shooting beers. So I, I used to do that in the barracks bar just for kicks. And the guys are all like, that's really cool, man. Because I could drain a beer in like two seconds. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, that's really cool. And I said, okay. And, and so they're up there going, come on, man. We, you're you're going to be our, you, you know, you're going to be our uh, ace in a hole. And I'm like, oh, dear God, no. And I went up, um, upstairs and uh, to the barracks bar. And there's this Canadian looking at me and he's going, y you can't drink a beer in two seconds. And I go, yes, I can. And he goes, no, you can't. I said, yeah, yeah I can. And, he, and so we got in, I, I popped the first one and I did it in about, you know, about two seconds. And they said, that's amazing. They said, go get our guy. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes this other Canuck. And he's, he's like, he can drain a beer in like a second and a half. But basically what he did is he took the whole mug and put it in his mouth and then just threw it down his throat. You know, you've seen that too, probably. Oh, yeah. I'm, well, yeah. I'm sure you've read about it in some body books, but you yourself uh, never participated in such an act up there. You, you know, I've seen documentaries on, yeah, on the Discovery sure. Channel mostly. <laughs> yeah, but, but never partaken, obviously. I shot a beer one time in high school on a, on a first floor balcony. And when I shot it, I threw my head back. And the next thing I know, I saw my feet over my head. And I went, well, this is interesting. And I went off the balcony and hit the ground. <laughs> and I got up and I went, well, that was fun. So anyway, um, I go to shoot a beer. And that's what we did. We, we started, we were doing like best three out of five or something like that. And, you know, I, was, I, I, I did a personal best of about one and three quarter seconds. And he's... He's doing them in about a second and a half to two seconds. And um, they claim victory and we claim victory. In the meantime, I got to get up in about two or three hours and I'm hammered. I mean, I am jack hammered drunk. Mm -hmm. And I'm like going, oh, this is not going to work. You're, you're making phone calls on the red phone. Oh, <laughs> you just don't know what's going on. Oh, I had no idea. So I went downstairs. I went and got my parka. And uh, I went downstairs and we were having uh, a wind was coming down off the glacier. The what's so great about a great Greenland glacier. We were in a horseshoe Canyon and this blazing wind was coming down uh, through the canyon. And the temperature outside uh, with the wind was over 100 degrees below zero. And I stepped outside and I was completely zipped up. I'm just jackhammered. And I'm like, oh, dear God. And all I did was. The, the fox fur parkas and i could barely you know you could barely see out because you have in that kind of a wind you, you really can't do anything mm -hmm. you can't have it touch flesh and i unzipped it about about an inch and a half and opened it up and i felt like a million little needles just stung me right in the face basically i was at about 130 below zero with the wind chill and uh it just hit me in the head and believe it or not sobered me right up <laughs> you know, I could see that sobering you right up. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And I was like, well, heck, I can go up and do another round. <laughs> now that I know this. 
It's like, guys, so, you got to try this. So what happened was the funny part about about all of this now is that um, towards the end of my tour of duty, as I was uh, I picked up an assignment and, like you were talking about traveling Well, I was about to go behind the Berlin Wall. They were sending me to West Berlin, Germany mm-hmm. and from the North Pole. And I was starting to think, I don't think they want me associating with human beings for some reason because they keep sticking me in weird places. Anyway, um, I'm getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden I get approached by all these guys. There was this there's this big annual um, uh, military uh, uh, games called Reforger. And it's a huge NATO exercise as t- uh, team units from all over the world. Uh, I think they converge in Norway and they hold this thing called Reforger. I don't know if they still do it or not, but that they used to. Well, that was also known as the NATO International Beer Drinking Contest. Of course it was. Yeah. Of course it was. And everybody had a team. And they said, you're on the team. And I went, what? And they said, we want you to go to Norway with us for Reforger. And I said, I'm a disc jockey. And they said, don't worry about it. We'll figure something out. And I'm like, okay. So the thing was, I, I get first available aircraft to go home. Now, and you got to understand, I've been up on the ice for about a year. I've had one 30-day leave. I want to go home desperately, you know. But at the same time, I was honored to be able to go to Norway and take part in the NATO International Beer Drinking Contest. So I'm down there it's like being picked for the Olympics. You can't say no to something like that. Well, here's the exactly. So I'm sitting there with my CO going, is there any way you can delay my orders? Because, you know, orders say you got to go on a certain date. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, is there any way you could delay my orders so I can take the ride over to Norway and compete and compete in the uh, NATO International Beer Drinking Contest? They basically looked at me and they said, you got a choice. You can go and do that. And it's about a week or two long. And then they said, you can come back here and we can't guarantee exactly when you'll leave again, but it might be up to three months. And you might get your orders redlined or go home. And I went, oh, Lord. And I said, wait a minute. You mean I got to come back up here for another three months or so? And they said, yeah, we have to extend your tour. I'm like, I'll go home. So I got first available aircraft. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> long story short there, I, they, they told me when I left, this happened every tour of duty I ever had. You, you're not allowed to leave under your own power. So when they put me on the, when they put me on the uh, cargo plane, it was a C-141 Starlifter. Uh, I was not in control of my faculties. <laughs> I, I got on that plane and you don't have seats in the C-141. We had the jump seats, you know, which is basically just these camp. It was like a cocoon. And you were, and I literally swung in this cocoon for, for about a six-hour ride back down to New Jersey. And uh, <laughs> I think I was home for two days when I looked at my mom and I went, you're just not going to believe the last couple of weeks. <laughs> so obviously uh, going to the North Pole – uh, wouldn't have been your first choice as far as assignments, but I mean, no. you, you came out of it with some uh, some some good life experiences, so that that was good. Oh, I I reenlisted up there, and um, I um, I was the, up. The tradition is you can get you can reenlist anywhere you want. So I kicked my CO out of his office, the colonel up there, and he was an old um, Thunderbird pilot, uh, Colonel Brenner, just greatest guy in the world. He just always sit there, and I'd say something, he'd start going. <laughs> I started marrying, started marrying. <laughs> I don't know where you get that stuff. <laughs> that was Colonel Brunner. <laughs> so I came in there and I, I, I kicked him out of his office and I, and I reenlisted up there. And then later on, when I, well, actually, when I made sergeant, they did the old punch your stripes on. And, and he was one of the people that punched me in the side of the arm to put my stripes on. So quid pro quo. 
Nice. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story, Art. <laughs> yeah, you're more than welcome. <laughs> I want you to know there were people up there at, uh, that were standing by at all times to, uh, you know, protect the free world from a Russian missile invasion. But uh, all we but, ever did was go outside at night and, and stick our hands up in the air and give giant fingers to the satellites coming over. But but you, you know, there, there were plenty of people trying to defend the free world, but they also had plenty of downtime. So they had to do something. Well, yeah, and the thing is, you can't go outside and play. They wouldn't let you go skiing. You couldn't go hike. You don't want to go hiking because uh, up there you would see this pristine field of snow, but it could be hiding about a you know one or two thousand foot deep canyon, and oh. you didn't know, yeah. you know. And you could try and climb the rocks and stuff like that. But the other problem you had to worry about in some parts of the base, especially on the other side of the canyon walls, was you had to worry about polar bears, and. Um, you know, just getting yourself lost or getting out there where it was so cold and then not being able to come back and, uh, you know, turning into an icicle. Well, I'm glad you made it out. And uh, um, Thanks, I'm man. sorry you didn't get to represent uh, <laughs> the, the U.S. in the, the NATO drinking contest twice. <laughs> well, if you ever have another show, I'll tell you about the time that I represented the United States Air Force against the United States Special Forces in Berlin. Whew. And that was tequila. <laughs> if you think you can top Art's story from the top of the world, shoot me an email at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com. Cabotron.